Dude, hold on. When you hear this, it's going to blow your mind. This is my favorite cover of a song ever. <laughs> okay. So we're going to share. Is this hat crooked or is it just the angle of my face? <laughs> Can you hear it now? Yes, I could hear it. Okay. <laughs> Dude, this is so hard. It is ridiculous how hard this hits. It's insane. He's playing backside. I need. I need it. Uh, so, okay, it's perfect. Sorry. It's perfect for a metal song. And, and, and so here's the thing. I know you saw like when I was pulling that up that it's on a mental health playlist. Like a mental health and like taking care of your mind. That's a very important right. thing to me and something that I work on, not just through my comedy, but also through just the, the other things that I do. My podcast, First uh -huh. Generation Dad. And, you know, one of the things, especially because like for me, I had a lot of trauma as a kid. And, you know, there's no other way to say it. Like not, not, not trying to like sugarcoat or anything. That's just a simple fact. Like I had yes. a traumatic childhood. Yeah. And, and so that song, like I found it one day. And it, it just, it's one of those things where it allows me to get back, back to my childhood because yeah. who amongst us did not love Power Rangers as a kid? I, yeah, every, I mean, every, it was just on, like, at the right time. They, they, they got right it. Right after, after school. After school. The perfect watched, slot. You watched it after school. I watched it before school day. I think they showed the rerun on the next day. And right. I, I would sit at breakfast and have my Cheerios, and then I'd go to school and watch it. And it was just, the, they picked the right time slot because it was 30 minutes of right after I woke up. I had enough time to watch a show and get out the door. Power Rangers. It was, and, and it's just, and, and so like for me, because, you know, let us say, for me, because of the, you know, the fact that sure. trauma, like if I'm having anxiety or if I'm having a rough start to my day, I will pop that on and it kind of helps me relax because it reminds me of the kids stuff, but it's still metal and it gives you that, that energy as yeah. an adult. Yeah. Because I love, you know, like I love all kinds of music, but the right kind of metal just kind of gets you going. Oh, and, exactly what you mean. The right kind and, of metal. It's and that's the thing. The right kind of metal. Because like I'm not gonna get energy listening to 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 slipknot. Like that's something you listen to when you're drinking. But I mean <laughs> something like that. I mean, am I wrong? I think I would I don't listen to slipknot ordinarily, but if I was listening to it, I would probably having a drink somewhere. At, at, and I could imagine at like a certain kind of bar that has a certain kind of feel I walk in and I'm like, they're listening to Slipknot, these guys and playing pinball. So <laughs> the bar that I go to, like I do karaoke is like just something I do for fun. And <laughs> the bar that I go to and the environment in this bar is ridiculous because I'm going to set the stage for it because it's insane. So it's in one of the worst parts of Phoenix. So like, you know, it's a, okay. off of 35th Avenue in Dunlap. This bar is called okay. The Dunes. Like, okay. if you look up that intersection on crime spotters, you won't be able to see anything. You'll just see crime stuff all uh -huh. over the area. It's right. ridiculous. This is a biker bar. And uh -huh. I'm not just talking about a regular biker bar. I'm talking about a biker bar. Uh-huh. And Okay. And and it's it's in a very rough part of Phoenix. But, like, I will, I will go in there, and you'll hear Slipknot. Yeah. 
but you'll also hear like when I do karaoke, one of my favorite songs to karaoke is I'll Make a Man Out of You from Mulan. From who? who? From the movie, uh-huh. from the Disney movie Mulan. Mulan. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, the song I I'll Make a Man it. of You at the training camp. Yeah. I, I, dude, I crush that at karaoke. Like, no shame. I don't care. I will sing that at any karaoke if they have mm-hmm. it. And it's really funny because you see these big biker dudes. Yeah. Like, and, and I mean, like, you look and you're like, I, I just don't want to piss that guy off. It's like, I'm only 5'8. I can't win a fight. I can barely win an argument with my wife. So, but like just to see how they light up if I like I bust out some some Disney song or I'll do Backstreet Boys every once in a oh. while just to get them going. It's yeah. it's the funniest thing, man, to be in yeah. that type of environment where you know people are strapped and there's drugs everywhere and shit's going down that you don't see. Uh-huh. But everybody still rocks out to boy bands and Disney songs. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It no, like, it's 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 the perfect song for that kind of place. It's uh it's 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 a positive song about all these these rough and tough maybe guys that want to. <laughs> they're like, I'll I'll make a man out of you, and, and I, we're all getting along. Let's let's we can we can do this, and we can we can say that to our women. We'll make a man out of them, <laughs> you know, because this this is there's this feeling that's happening that uh, we're sharing, and you brought that to them. You you brought this level of vulnerability. Uh, through uh, karaoke. That is awesome. I I came to a point, and, and, and this is something that I learned as I was taking care of my mental health, because yeah. here's the thing. I understand that there's a lot of people, like when it comes to mental health, you know, a pill and talking to a shrink aren't going to solve everything. Uh-huh. A lot of it is, you know, putting in the work mentally to change your thoughts and your actions. Uh-huh. But getting into that environment where I actually started to work through the therapeutic part uh-huh. Of you know getting my mind back after going completely fucking insane. Oh man. Um, the you know I got to this. I I I just started being like you know what, I spent so much time thinking like I was the only one that struggled with suicidal thoughts and depression and anxiety and and yeah. all of these things that are far more common. Mm-hmm. And and I just started being forward about it because. Right. I would rather, you know, they talk about like, like, you know, white privilege, you know, guess what? If people are going to pay more attention to me because I'm white, I might as well at least take the advantage to talk about stuff that's important, like taking care of your mental health, Mm -hmm. then, then waste that opportunity, you know, telling a dick or a fart joke or, you know, you know, these, these hat comics that go into open mic nights telling rape joke the first time they get in front of a microphone, not realizing that it takes a lot of time to craft and get to where you can tell those jokes like you know how hard daniel tosh had to work to be able to get away with the material that he does mm-hmm. or you know and, and so yeah he had to it, bring it, a sense of who he was to the comedy you if you're going to go to that length you have to have you know it's like that thing that greg dean talks about you know one of the most most important pieces of comedy is is the, the in the uh uh-huh. the uh the relationship with the audience yeah and you know comics like tosh Carlin, Chappelle, oh, like these I, guys. Go yeah. ahead. No, 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 no. I so I, you 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 got a point. So I had a situation because I run an open mic, and a gentleman told a joke that was not in the best taste. Okay, it didn't make everybody thrilled, and I got feedback the next day about it. And I said, yeah. "Well," and this is when I just started hosting, and I haven't been hosting that long. So. 
I said, you know, I'm going to be fair. I'm going to give this person like another opportunity to come back. Okay. And we're going to go through the rules and I'll take responsibility for that. And I told the gentleman, I said, I said, look, you're a dad. You, you gotta be Danny Tanner first, Bob Saget later. That's what I said to him. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, and I think that like, you can't, you can't just, nobody knew that Bob Saget was this like, you know, comedian because he played that character for so long and oh. built up a rapport that he is like, you know, that kind of guy too. Right. Yeah. There is, if you're going to be able to work with material that is edgier, because like me, I will, I will make jokes that are off color. I'm yeah. not ashamed to that, but that is something where it is either directed at myself. Yeah. Most of the time, like I'm, I'm the butt of a large portion of my material. Like yeah. there was one point where one of my, one of the people that like I talked to about my stuff, they came to me after a show one night and she goes, are you okay? Yeah. You know? And, and like, that was when I was like, okay, wait, mate, you know, a little too far. Let's pull it back. Um, yeah. yeah but <laughs> to ask yourself though. I mean, like it, it's, it's such a, an interesting place to be doing comedy and, I, and yeah. I'm still learning about it. So it's interesting hearing you and hearing that is, there's kind of like a theme that, that people experience. Cause going into this for me, uh, you know, was very new and I'm, I, we have a lot, you and I, you've already mentioned a lot. You and I have a lot of similarities. Right. Uh, it sounds like your dad too. Yeah. Uh, and, and, I, and there were just other things that, that you were just discussing uh, um, uh, that, that just made sense. And I'm sure we'll it'll it'll call, all come back up. Um, yeah, it, it it's just there's just a lot of themes about getting to know people in this field, and I feel kind of like strange at first because it's branching outside of something different mm -hmm. than, than you're used to, but have thought about for a while. When did like how long have you been doing comedy, or when did when did that start start for you? I I've been doing comedy actually off and on since 2006. Uh huh. Um. I was fortunate enough when I went to college, uh, I used to live north of Kansas City. I went to Missouri Western State University mm -hmm. and I got in on the campus activities board, you know, booking, booking stuff to happen at the school. Oh, right. And they immediately put me in, uh, almost immediately, I was put in charge of the, the, the division that booked comics. Uh -huh. And so the first two comics that I got to interact with professionally before I had ever tried to tell jokes myself were Owen Wilson, or I'm sorry, Owen Hart and or, um, oh, yeah. yeah, Owen Hart and Kevin Hart. Owen um, Hart, yes, and both two amazing dudes. Like, there's pictures on my Facebook of me and Kevin in 2006. He was the the headline comic on on the first show that I booked for the school. Um, Owen was booked for the. It was another show that was that same week that they had already booked. I'm um, confused. Like Owen uh, Owen Hart is different than Owen Hart the wrestler. You know, so okay, so maybe it's Owen Owen Smith. He was the dad on Everybody Hates Chris. What is his last name? It's Owen. Oh, I don't know. I, I you yeah. know who I'm talking about though, right? I, I, I I've watched the show, so I know I, I recall Chris and the family and all that. Yeah. And I it's, it's a show that I've wanted to watch. It's <laughs> worth was, watching. I know it was, I, it was really well done. Yeah, I was I think I was out of the country when that show came on TV, but I remember uh, there was like a series of shows that had like a similar feel to it that came out at that time. And yeah, his was about him being a little kid. Good show. Yeah, and it, it was, th there was definitely some good pieces with that. Like, I, I think that I gained 
I gained a lot more respect for Chris uh, for um, Chris Rock's ability to write and yeah. you know kind of more have more of the helm of a big project like that because of how that show went because it wasn't perfect. There were better shows, but it was still good. No, it was still good, and it was about him as a kid. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I think that's good. It's always good to kind of learn because he's all, he talks about his he that's what he talked about in his yeah. his act was what it was like being a black kid at an all white school. I think is what he described. And yeah, how that was really interesting for him growing up, which it's weird when you grow up as a minority, because like in, in Phoenix growing up as where I grew up in Peoria, I was the minority as a yeah. white kid, like the more of the kids that I went to school with were either Hispanic or black or yeah. you know some type of like Central American or South yeah. American, you know, and yeah. so, you know, I was there was you know, yeah. 30 kids in my class and there was three white kids. Yeah, and you make friends with people and you respect people because of yeah. that. Like everybody's pe- just a person. So you you get out there and I mean, and we know this. I mean, we're not, we're preaching to each other about the things that we believe, but you know, it's it's good to get out there, you know, and I think that it that it informs your comedy. Like you yeah. know, you understand about like people in connection. It's such a that's what I know is it's like, oh my goodness, there's this like community here that like needs like support to, to get a, a clear voice of what's going on. I don't know. It's kind of like a big, big thing that I see, but I think it's really important. No, I, I think you're right. And I think it's because as comics, we help people like yeah. our, you know, in establishing that relationship is we're helping them process all of the noise that goes through. That's why a lot of us, you know, whether it's sports related yeah. or, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know, the, all yeah. of the comics that have most of their stuff about, you know, current events. Yeah. You know, we're helping them interpret it or the, you know, the storyteller comics, you know, they're, yeah. they're telling their life stories because they know that it's something that you're going to be able to relate to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with talking about their perspective, even if you don't see it the same way, or, yeah. you know, it's ultimately just the joke itself. Yeah. You, you, you still can gain a different perspective on life and it's almost enlightening in a sense. And that's one of the great things about the art of comedy. Well, speaking of comedy, um, what kind of stories do you tell? Do you want to tell a little thing? Because I'd like to listen to it. If you, if you okay, can, you can do that. I mean, I, oh, I'm yeah. really interested in seeing it. So, my in in my my favorite story to tell in my comedy is this is is the joke that my wife hates the most, and that's why it's my favorite the joke. Is that the name? Um, of it? Well, <laughs> it, it's um, you know, I, the title of that joke for me is "God Am I Lucky," uh-huh. and here's the thing, and so. The weekend that white my wife moved in, like we we grew up together as kids, you know, when we were uh you know, when we were kids, but when she actually like we started dating, she moved in. Uh-huh. You know, the weekend that she moved in, we went to Taco Bell to celebrate. You know, I let her be a I let her be a good, you know, I I decided to be a big spender, let her get a combo, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but she was not aware of the effect that Taco Bell has on my stomach. You know, one of those learning lessons when, when you know, but you don't really know who you're moving in with. Um, <laughs> so we get home and we get settled in, you know, we put a movie on, we start kind of fooling around. And it's at this point that I realized that my fast food sins have come a calling and realizing that I had a shot. I got on top of my wife. And honestly, we were both naked at this point. Yeah. I got on top of my wife and I inched the blanket above me got it over the top of our head. <laughs> and the entire reason that I believe in God was because that fart was 100% silent. 
And so I've got my wife pinned down and she's all wiggling and giggling, thinking stuff's going on. And then all of a sudden it was like, you could see the change in her expression as that green mist just inched up in the space and her wiggles and giggles turned into swinging and swear words. Oh yeah. Um, and I lived in a studio apartment at the time in the ghetto. So I had like one of those chain locks. So she's actually, you know, she's naked. She jumps out of bed and she runs. She's trying to rip the door. She, I hate you. I hate you. But the chain locks there. So she gets it. She finally rips it open. She runs outside naked, just trying to get air. And she's, I hate you. I hate you. She's breathing and screaming. And I was just laying on the bed, laughing and farting. It was great. <laughs> Well, talking, about- but she stayed with me. That that just proves how good I am at 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 you know fucking because otherwise, I wouldn't have any value. Maybe it was your pheromones <laughs> or something, you know. I mean, it just I you know I because I you know I made sure to pin her down, let the brand really sink in. You know, I think the reason it was successful is it was God's way of punishing her for all the premarital sex we were having. Well, um, shits and giggles, shits and giggles. <laughs> but I say, that's. <laughs> It's it's those things that we don't forget ever in our yeah. life. And our olfactory sense is one of the strongest. So that is a, that is a memory that you two will cherish for the rest of your lives. Yeah. And and if and, it, and if I ever die suddenly, it's just you know she always has motive, and that's that's the thing that comforts me the most is they'll check her first. <laughs> oh goodness. Okay, so you live in Arizona, and you grew up in Arizona. Is that correct? Or- yeah. I lived I lived in Kansas City between the two oh, times I that I lived in the, in the area for about 12 years. Yeah, I am a Chiefs fan. Okay. Um but the but the rest of the time when I wasn't in the Kansas City area, mm-hmm. um yeah, I lived here in Arizona. Uh-huh. Okay. So you live there and you and you've always did you live in Phoenix or around yeah, there? Phoenix area for the most part. Okay. Little, one yeah. year in Sedona. Okay. Uh, when I was like five, but yeah, for the most part, Sedona. Yeah, Phoenix. you remember Sedona because that's an interesting town. It's a beautiful city. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I still love going up to visit. I do remember parts, um, uh-huh. but the um, like my grandparents owned a house owned a house that was on a golf course that's in Sedona. Uh huh. And so it was right off of the second hole. So I remember my grandfather would just take a par for hole one. And hit from the second and tee off because he just—it was just a par four. He's like, "I'll just take par on that hole, count it as a mulligan, and shoot the other 17. <laughs> Do you play lots of golf then? Oh no, I don't have the patience to play golf. I have respect for those that do, but I'm—I'm I'm one of those where it's either gaming or it has to be a physical sport because. I, I just I respect what golfers do, but I can't do it. It's such an interesting sport. I, I started playing it during the pandemic, and it's such an interesting sport. But the one thing that I noticed, and this is like what before my uh, well, before I did comedy, but I always kind of funny. Uh, my friend got me into it, and I said, I, I think this golf is just like a whole like daddy issue sport. I mean, doing good is subpar. The less you do, the better you look. Let's like you- the. It's the ultimate slacker sport. Like, yeah. just get it in the most efficient way but possible. If you do poorly, you're above par. So, either way, you win. That's how I look at it. I scored a lot of points. Yeah. I mean, you may not win a lot of money, but you scored a lot of points. I scored um, a lot of points. I'm a buff park golf player. That's what I tell people. <laughs> I'm not a subpar golf player. I'm not a subpar. I'm an above par golf player. Yeah, yeah, no. I, I, I just do that all the time. I just throw my ball. I'm like, because it's all about keeping up. So I'm like, oh, 
Triple bogey. Yeah. I had a buddy that said that his hand, I had a buddy said his uh, hand eye coordination was so bad he'd get better score on a golf course shooting with a uh, slingshot until he gets to the green than anything else. Oh, I wish I could think of the joke. There's one comedian, he tells a joke. Um, his name is Cliff Barnes. He's this. Oh, if you ever come to Seattle, I, I will introduce you to some folks. It would be, fun. I would love to get up to the Seattle scene. Yeah. That would be really yeah. cool. Yeah. We, yeah. No, exactly. And, and, but he tells a joke about, um, like, I guess <laughs> making a woman climax is very much like, uh, when you lose, when, when a guy loses his, can't find the ball on the, the golf course, he'll keep searching and searching for like, tw- like 20 minutes and then he'll give up. It's something like that, but, but, but he did a good job comparing, uh, uh, pleasuring a woman to finding a golf ball and not being successful. I my favorite jokes to run with are that the uh, G spot and the female orgasm are a myth. That, that, I, I, <laughs> I think that was set that standard, that. man. Seriously, just set that standard so that when you get in the bedroom, if you miss, she thinks that you already knew. You, you know, she thinks that you're just an idiot. But if you hit it, she's surprised, and the standard is lower, so you get away with a lot more. I'm just saying it works. That's why I'm married. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So you're a big wrestling fan. I, I, I'm not as big as some of the other guys that I work with, but I enjoy wrestling. Okay. Have you, did you watch it like in the golden age of like Hogan and okay. That was when I watched my wrestling for the most part. That's what I understand. I don't know, understand the new stuff as much. I mean, I, I see some of them as actors, but I didn't really watch Batista or anything, or even uh, John Cena. He came kind of after I uh, moved on. Rock was kind of where 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 it went for me. Who are your right. some of your your favorites that you enjoyed, and and what's the story behind you getting into wrestling? Then I can tell you my story. My my all time favorite wrestler will always be Mick Foley. Oh yeah, and and in I loved him as a kid, but as I got to being an adult and I learned about the technical side and really what wrestling, you know, sports entertainment wrestling really is. Yeah. And what he as what Mick Foley as a performer put into what he did. Yeah. I gained the ultimate amount of respect for what he does. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um the I had been watching because like when I had been watching like the Rock and Sock Connection, you know, that was kind of one of the one of the fun things about the attitude eras. I love getting to what when mankind and the rock would wrestle. Yeah. Um but the thing that sold me on wrestling that really got me into it was the mankind and undertaker hell in a cell cage, you know, uh, cage that, was, that was vicious. That was, I, I still put that as the best, the single best wrestling match to this day. Yeah, no, he, he, I, he made it look as real as you could probably make wrestling look. He took like, and, and if you watch some of the interviews of Foley, as he's talked about that after, like you learn that a lot of that, like they were just planning that on the go. Like when, and one of the things that he's talked about is when they were on top of the hell in a cell and, mm-hmm. and Taker was getting ready to throw him off. He was like, don't let me do this. You And yeah. Taker was trying, like, you can't see it because of all the camera angles intentional. Yeah. Because that's what those guys do when they're in the middle of the matches. They're talking about it as they're going. Yeah. Because they already know what the outcome is going to be. They're just trying to put on a good show. Yeah, no. It's and. All- and so when as Taker is talking, I'm like, dude, you you are not going to handle this very well. 
mm-hmm. because that that table that he's getting thrown into is literally just cardboard and that ground is not padded so he took most of that 20 foot fall himself but yeah that huge fall oh my and, god and so to, i can see to, it you know where the times that he took a barbed wire bat where he was really taking a hit from mm-hmm. that barbed wire bat like those type of people that put that kind of energy into their craft, yeah. even if I don't like them yeah, for whatever reason, like if it was a heel that I didn't like, I'm still going to respect them for the simple fact that they are putting everything into their craft. Yeah. And that is an amazing thing to experience. Yeah. And that, I think that that kind of, era of wrestling i haven't watched it as recently but i hear that it, it it's not as much like that anymore no i mean i think that they they are more cautious about hurting themselves in the same way it's what it is is vince mcmahon it is during the 90s and the early 2000s the, the 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 wrestling you know the wwef slash wwe is that was the transition during the Attitude Era as it was going yeah. from, from one to the other. Yeah. Vince McMahon let the wrestlers have their own brand. Yeah. You know, that's why we had The Rock and Mankind and John Cena and CM Punk even yeah. got that luxury. But yeah. CM Punk and John Cena were kind of the last of that that have been allowed to really have their own brand. Uh-huh. And... I think that that has been one of the reasons why wrestling has declined because it's so hard to create a connection to any of these characters. Uh-huh. Now, AEW, the newer promotion that's been coming up where some of the better WWE guys have gone, like Chris Jericho, like uh-huh. CM Punk, you're starting to see like it's not, it's not, it, it doesn't, it's not the attitude era, but like when I've watched of AEW over the last year when I've had time, mm-hmm. it definitely makes me feel like a modern version of the attitude era because some of the people that are involved in the writing and the production that goes on with this were there and that's what they're going for, but they're still trying to bring new energy into it. And I think that that's why AEW has been able to generate a a foothold where other promotions that have tried to come up and and pull away from the WWE's market share Mm. haven't been successful. The AEW is coming up with a better quality, and that's than what WWE is producing right now because most of their stuff right now is just god awful. Yeah, that the you know the bulk of good, just true core wrestling fans have been focused so more so much more on AEW because they're getting more entertainment out of it. It's a better yeah. show. Yeah, that they, that's what we want is those individual stories that that. Where the characters have that larger than life feel like they don't have to be the strongest looking. And uh, I heard that they did. There was I I just found out what NXT is. Do you know that is that was coming up near the end of the um, near the end of the Attitude Era when they first started to do NXT the first time with trying to bring up some of the, you know, the minor league wrestlers, if you will. But they have really messed that up. Yeah, no, they used to be a lot better. No, that's what I heard. That that that's what the the I, this person Eric Escobar I uh, talked to was saying that that it was really neat because I brought up that it would be nice to just have wrestlers that kind of looked more like us, just you know, that that they were very athletic and you could see somebody be that athletic. But he said that then he was saying that how it changed, where now they're all very, you know, muscular and not what it was. That they just kind of moved in a very different direction. Vince McMahon ruined wrestling and now he's trying to get out because like, if you look at everything that's going on with WWE, they're getting ready to sell. 
Yeah. And the company that takes over is going to have a very large, a very large order in trying to keep that company from going under after they buy it. Because once that happens and the McMahon family is gone from wrestling, AEW is going to get most of that fan base that hasn't gone over yet. You know who should take over? Mankind. They actually used him as a commissioner for a long time. They yeah. had him. And I remember that because I, I actually peeked back in and was watching wrestling a little bit more actively when that was going on. I I like Mick, but yes. I don't think he has I don't think he has the mic ability yeah. that he has in the ring. And I think that that's a problem because like with Triple H and Vince and Stephanie McMahon, like Triple H is a great wrestler. But he's one of the reasons why he are able to sell that character so much is because of, of the way he is on the mic. Yeah. The same with Vince and the same with Stephanie and with um, Shane. Like their yeah. mic presence. That's why CM Punk is regarded as such a great wrestler, right. despite the fact that in the ring, he's average. Is because yeah. that mic prowess. And mankind just doesn't have that. It's yeah. not that he's bad. It's just it's not the same energy. Yeah. Well, if bet, so I, I, bet AE, yeah, I bet AEW is uh, keeping an eye on this. They're like, okay, this, we're going to seize. This is this is our WCW moment that the WCW missed. Yep. And yeah. and they're they using it. the veteran. They're using the veteran wrestlers they bring in, like when they brought in Sting, and you know, with bringing in CM Punk and how they yeah. use Jericho. Yeah. They're using them a lot more effectively than than WWE has done as mm -hmm. of the last ten to fifteen years with wow. those names. Yeah, and I think it's making a difference because they're only those those bigger names, those veteran guys. They're wrestling three matches a year. Uh -huh. They're just there ringside. You know, occasionally they do a small thing, but they're mainly just there mentoring and getting the focus on the young guy that they're you know that is their apprentice basically. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it has made a huge impact because it's helping the fan base open up to some of these other guys that AEW has that aren't as known because they weren't on WWE's roster. Yeah. All right. Uh, wh wh how? What? Where? Where were we at? This time has been like flying by. Has it already been been like almost an hour? It's we're at a half hour. Half hour. Over half hour. It feels like this is going by. Um, <laughs> I'm just enjoying it. Uh, so I was in Phoenix this weekend visiting some friends because I went to Arizona State. That's where I went to college. Right. And I was. They lived there from ninety. Was ninety? Yeah, ninety nine to 2001 for school, left, moved back to, well, moved back to the East Coast to stay with a friend in North Carolina, then moved back to Arizona because I didn't like living in North Carolina. So I lived there for a while and moved around for a bit. But um, so I was there this weekend and we were checking out, we just, you know, I was going to try to check out some open mics, but we actually, uh, we got into town. I got into town with my wife and we were just looking for something to do um before we headed back to my friend's place to hang out so we i look i googled a place and it i was googling karaoke that's what we did i googled karaoke and i went to, this place popped up called bridget's last laugh or bridget's laughs have you heard of this place yeah 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 they do some comedy stuff there yeah they i, I didn't i mean it was just happened they just it was the only karaoke place that was nearby and man that place is is a dive, but it is, I would, I was thinking this would be a fun place for comedy. Have you done comedy there before? I haven't done comedy there, but I've watched, I've watched some stuff there. I peeked into trying to do a drop in, but they didn't have any space. Oh, yeah. Um, but I've seen that room and it's a decent room to do comedy. And there's a few, it, the thing that I like about the comedy scene down here in Phoenix is there is yeah. literally 
an open mic every night. You can yes. go work on jokes any night of the week, and I think that's fantastic. Oh, my goodness. I And there's a lot of different places to go to. You can go to mm -hmm. a different place. See, I, we were, when we were walking around Mesa, uh, I, I can't remember. There was some coffee shop in the downtown Mesa and I, on, on Saturday afternoon. Mm -hmm. And I like that they're in the afternoon, some of them, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, you could just walk in. Uh, I just happened to catch the end of it, but that was still pretty neat. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And then that some brewery down there called uh, 12 West. That was mm -hmm. kind of neat. Uh, but there's so many going on. I was really. There is. And a lot of the comedy rooms down here actually do. They don't just do bringer mics. They do actual open mics. Like yeah. I've seen um, Copper Blues down here. They have two different stages that they book comics on. Like one of the, one of their ones that's, that's a little closer to me. Mm -hmm. I saw Kevin Heffernan, the guy that plays Farva and Steve Lemmy, the guy that plays, uh, that's also in like the super trooper movies and on Tacoma okay. FD with him. And they came and they did stand up together on that stage. And it was, you know, 125 people room. And we yeah. paid 25 bucks for tickets and yeah. those guys killed for two hours. They each yeah. did 45 minutes and then they had an, and then they had a half hour or yeah. they had, a, they, or they did 45 minutes. They had a open, they had a 10 minutes opener and then they did some time at the end where they were together. And it was, it was a great show and a great room. Arizona the, good vibe for, I mean, it's sunny. I don't know. It's a good vibe for comedy. That's it it's, is. And, and, and I'm trying to bring that up to Seattle. It's, 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 I, I have you ever been to Seattle? I, I've been to Seattle, but I, I haven't done anything in comedy. And what it is, is I, when I got out of college, like yeah. with the reason I say that I started in, I did comedy off and on since 2006. Cause like I went to college and I realized I had no idea what I wanted to do, hmm. which at 18, if you know what you want to do, you're probably wrong. It's not what you're going to end up doing. Like for most yeah. of us, that's the way it is. Right. Yeah. And my biological father, who I honestly have no relationship with just randomly calls me one day and he goes, and, and, and he goes, Hey, you know, a lot about music and you can handle working like computers and, and, you know, little light work labor and stuff. Right. And I said, yeah. And he goes, all right, I'm going to get you working on a music tour. Oh, and wow. that's what he had used to do. Uh -huh. And so I started out just building stages and then yeah. I learned how to run sound. Yeah. Um, and I became an audio engineer. And, Funny. and so I had that break where I, I, I wasn't really doing much with comedy. Like I was still writing and I would still rehearse when I had downtime, but I wasn't performing. So I don't, I don't count it because yeah. I was getting better at some stuff. You really, as a comic, you have to spend time performing your jokes to get them right. It doesn't matter how much time writing you do, honestly. Right now. Um, so I've been to Seattle like for tours and stuff like that, like for shows, but I've never done anything outside of see the, the arenas and stuff that I went to there. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's just a very uh, so Seattle. It's, it's a depressing place sometimes, and I hate to say it like that, but it's there's too much, and and it, it comes down to a mental health thing because of so much, like even like Twilight mentioned it, like the book of Twilight of all things, yeah, calls out an accuracy that happens in the Pacific Northwest with the fact that because of how much rain there is in the Pacific Northwest it sucks with the suicide rate is higher and people are more depressed. And so it's, it's, yeah. it, we're, 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 we're trying to strike this balance. I'm really trying to advocate for a, a like a, just getting more people out there and that, that can talk. So I, I, so at my place, there was like nobody coming originally to the mic or there was, there was a few people and it was nice. And, and then, 
uh, all of a sudden we just got a lot of different people because I kept inviting people from different backgrounds and, 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 and ethnicities and, and uh, you know, sexual preference and so forth. Just inviting all these people saying, please come here. Yeah, that's so what comedy is about. Yeah. And, 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 and because of that, you know, it's, you know, I did not expect, I was thinking it would only be like 10 people a night, you know, and that happened the first week. And now like it, it goes between maybe 15, the minimal to 20 to almost 25 people coming in to do comedy. That's so, amazing. It is crazy. I mean, it's, it's awesome. Like it's crazy that, that, you know, and I, I, I enjoy it and I want all these people to come. And I, it, what I'm learning through like people like you doing media is that you just keep trying to reach out to people and let mm-hmm. them know what you're doing and yeah. trying to ensure them that, that, that there's nuance to it and it's funny and we're good people. So the, the more the merrier is, is quite the thing that I know. So I like, I appreciate what you're doing and, and even kind of being authentic with your story. I think it, it's valuable because there, there's that vulnerability that I often think about that. And somebody told me, I can't, oh, what was his name? He, he shut up and it just very philosophical kind of guy and comedian. He said, and I told him a story and he said, and I, I was telling him how it, what I noticed was that people became uncomfortable and he's like, you want that. You want people to be a little uncomfortable and then you want to follow up with something funny. Yep. So you, you reel them in, you pay attention to it, and then you have a funny like epilogue to the story or something, like mm-hmm. which is which is a brilliant way to think about jokes, too. When when in 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 the true testament to this is if you look at the greats, and I'm not just talking about you know in in our, our modern day top tier comedian is obviously pretty unanimous for most people, Dave Chappelle, and. You know, but when we look at some of the other greats throughout comedy history, even whether it's Robin Williams, George Carlin, um, Eddie Murphy, when he used to do stand up, Richard Pryor, even going all the way back to one of the best comedy greats to ever do it, Lenny Bruce. Yeah. They were funny because you were uncomfortable until that punchline hit, Mm -hmm. you know, or off color jokes when you were at a party. You're, yeah. That punchline is because of how uncomfortable that setup is, whether it's a dead baby joke or whatever. Yeah, that's what it's about. Yeah, you put you put this idea in their head, or mm-hmm. what you know, Carlin does is he pointed out like the things that people are actually doing that was were his audience that they didn't they they like felt a little not good about, and he was like pointing out. Then he's like, but but you know that's we do, what we do all do anyway. It was always like, yeah, it's. We're like just Bill Burr. and you know, I didn't, I don't, I, I sometimes touch my asshole when I have uh, no toilet paper on because I just don't know what else to do. Like he would say these things, or you know, um, you know, he made a joke one time about the fact that he only washes his hands when he poops. Yeah, that's what, it, um, that's what it is. <laughs> I got it, it, it wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I, I just wash my hand in my pants. <laughs> yep. I yeah uh, yeah. I only wash my hand when I poop. Um. And that's one of the great things, like, you know, whether it's and that's the thing is like they are, you know, because when when a comic sets up a joke, mm-hmm. there's always an assumption yeah. of where you're going to go. Yeah. And one of the things that the audience doesn't do is they're so wrapped up in just figuring it's going to be somewhat predictable oh. that the best comics are the ones that are not only just stepping outside of what you're yeah. expecting. Yeah 
but they're going to a completely different direction than what you even thought was possible Mm -hmm. to begin with. So, and, and, and that's what, and I think that that's what makes a good comic is somebody who can look at something and not just see where the possible direction is. You can go from an assumption, which is the core of any joke. Mm -hmm. Um, but how far can you go with that assumption? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I know some folks and I tell them that, and I, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not like a seasoned comedian, but I, I've watched a lot of comedy, which I do think helps. It um, does. Does it helps a lot? Cause I, I observe it. I watch the, even the ones where it's new comedians that are just kind of like got somehow got on Amazon or Netflix and I watch them and kind of try to see them. And then, then I'm like, oh, I'll just wait. Cause eventually they'll be in something else and I'll be like, Oh, look at how they were. Um, but I tell like comedians that, 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 that say, I, I, I have trouble with crowd work or this or that. And, or, or I don't think anybody's getting my jokes or they're not funny. I, I tell them kind of how you were talking about earlier is that, it, I, that I said to somebody just tell a story about yourself, talk about a little bit about your day. Mm-hmm. All right. And I said, cause once we get to know you, we'll, then we'll join in with your anger. I said, your, right. your jokes are funny, you, you, you know, but, but, but I'm not going to understand why you're so angry without getting to know you a little bit and then feel like I'm on his side. I want to be on your side. There is, you know, in, in, and so it, I mentioned it earlier, there's a guy that teaches some comedy stuff and you can find his stuff through YouTube and through his yeah. website, but the guy's yeah. name is Greg Dean. Greg Dean and Greg Dean, I think, and like Anthony Jeselnik took Greg's course before he became a big comic. Uh-huh. And so that, that kind of gives you a testament to the fact that what Greg teaches is accurate. Greg was on SNL at one point. Yeah. Um, his wife is an amazing comic mm-hmm. and um, you know, he has a lot of stuff on YouTube and audiobooks you can get through Audible. That was the first thing I did of his before I ever took one of his courses. Was mm-hmm. I listened to an audiobook that he had that was on joke writing where the workbook is free on his website. Yeah. Um, and so that makes it even better because you can really start to get some foundations going and get some good habits, which make a difference as a comic. But mm-hmm. the relationship with the audience is the core piece of what we do as comics. And yeah. so if you're not, you know, and, and part of crowd work is deciding what you want that crowd work to be because so many people think that, that when we get up on stage, if we start talking to someone and, 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 you know, Dave Chappelle looks at the guy in the front of the office and says, Hey man, what's your name? The guy goes, Dave, he goes, Dave, what do you do? And Dave says, "Uh, I'm an accountant. Whatever comes next out of Dave's mouth was planned because the guy said that he was an accountant. Yeah. Yeah. Those questions are planned. Yeah. He's just leading you where he wants to go. Yeah. And so you have to take that time. And if you decide that you want it, your crowd work, you want yeah. it to be talking to people, just asking them what they do and, and, you know, going from there. Yeah. You have to sit down and write jokes. Think about all of the possibilities. Yeah. And then you have to rehearse all of that and remember that material so that when you're in the moment, you can be present to the audience and they see that you're there so that when you see Tom in the front row and Tom says he's in accounting, that accounting joke pops out and you go on to the next thing. Have you ever done comedy high and you do not? Have- yes. Okay. Yeah. No. And, and, and so funny story about that. The worst time I've ever <laughs> bombed on stage 
happened while I was high. And that's why I don't smoke before shows anymore. Okay. Um, I don't, you know, and I, 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 I have my medical cannabis card. I'm a big proponent for cannabis use, yeah. but I've realized for me, I can't smoke before I do my set anymore. Here's mm -hmm. why I was in Tempe down on mill Avenue. I went into Spinelli's. It's a pizza shop there in mill Avenue and they do an open mic night. Okay. It's a, you know, and, and you would think on the surface, it's yeah. a pizza bar in a, in a, on a college bar row who cares? Well, it also happens to be some of the best pizza in the East Valley and uh -huh. Kevin Nealon. Yes. Kevin Nealon walked in four minutes before I went on stage. Right. Okay. I was one of the booked acts for this open mic. Okay. So of course the crowd has now recognized that this world famous comedian is in the back of the room. Right. And for me as a comic, I'm seeing, I didn't expect this guy to be here. This is one of, you know, he is one of my influences as a comic because yeah. I love Kevin Nealon. Yes. Subliminal and, man. And, you know, that threw me off. So I, I was, and because I was high, I wasn't able to deal with and process it and get it folks and be like, no, this is when I should be at my best. I wasn't prepared enough partially because I was high, partially because I hadn't been rehearsing properly mm -hmm. that week. And so when I got up on stage, I blanked my set three minutes in and had to yeah. call it because and I'm the type of comic where if I get up and I have a set plan and I forget my material, I would rather end my set early than kill the room for the rest of the comics. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because I, you know, I had to go up after that guy tells a gang rape joke or that guy tells a school shooting joke and try to get a room back for the other comics Yeah, because I'm, I'm the host of that open mic and I'm trying to keep the crowd from leaving. Yes. Yeah. While at the same time, you know, dealing with them yelling at me in the back and going, hey, you know what? I'll talk with them because you're right. It's kind of not right, but it is, it's an open mic. Anything can happen. These guys have to work through these jokes somehow. Yeah. And, you know, because you have to be able to hear hear the the, the customers that are attending your open mic because you want them there. You don't yeah. want your comics telling jokes to a room full of comics. We all get burned out on that. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but Very at the same good. time you have to be able to defend those comics because they do need the opportunity to work that out. Because if that's the type of comic they want to be, that's great. Mm -hmm. You want to say, Hey, if you're going to tell, you know, because you know, you can say, Hey, if this is the type of comic you're going to be, you got to build the audience up better before you get into that stuff, because yeah. otherwise you're going to lose the room for everybody. Mm -hmm. And you're going to get a mud hole stomped in your ass in the parking lot. If you don't knock it off. Yeah. And you know, and you can kind of set those boundaries and feel out what your crowd is. Yeah. But at the same time, Comics need to be able to work on their jokes and not everybody's going to like those jokes. Not every comic is for every person mm -hmm. and that's okay. Right. Right. That is right. Thank you for that. No, it, it's, you know, as hosting, I still continue to learn like when to manage a heckler and I do it at a bar. So the, the comedians kind of get that that's going to be people drinking and saying stuff. Right. And then, you know, there's, there's a regular that comes into our bar and he always heckles and all the comedians have told him basically to stop but he's harmless but he always comes so we're trying to figure out a way to work him into the room a little bit do you ever have anybody like that that you kind of like tell the comic here's the thing if you can't beat them join them tell the comics they need to start this is a great way to learn how to deal with hecklers yeah because you are going to have a heckler in almost every room you ever tell a joke in mm -hmm. so if you can't handle that guy that's at the bar at open mic you're not going to be able to handle those 10 people in the room that turn on you because you told a joke they thought was off color because that part of the country or that area that thing is considered off color mm -hmm. it's part of those things that you have to learn as a comic mm -hmm. and so i can understand to a 
point, like if a guy's just not letting a comic get a set out, look, yeah, no, it's time for you to go outside yeah. for a minute, have a cigarette, you know, here, let's step over to this area. I'll buy you a drink and shut you up for a minute so that my comics can get some time in without feeling distracted. Yeah. But at the same time, an regular guy that's just throwing stuff out during everybody's set work, uh, work with him. Be uh-huh. so good at spending coming back on it that he stops because he's not feeling energy in it anymore because you keep the crowd. Because if he's doing it, the crowd staying with him, he's going to keep doing it because he's doing what you're trying to do as a comic on stage. Uh huh. Can I process a story with you? I haven't really processed with anybody. So, yeah. So, again, relatively new to this. Um, and this was a, an open mic that we got a lot of people at. Uh-huh. And uh, there was a, a guy just drinking um, at the bar, drinking for a while. And I let him know it's open mic. You can sit around and, you know, enjoy the comedy. Uh, and I'll say this. A comedian came up, person of color, telling jokes about themselves, kind of about their background of, of, of how they grew up. Like, mm-hmm. they're, 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 I think they're mixed race, black and white. And they're talking about their jokes. And this guy at the bar was just drinking and for some reason he did not like the, the inebriation made him upset with the comedian. I, that's all I'm going to give him that, that. And he started to debate with the comedian a little bit. And then the comedian said, you know, like, what you think you can get up here and do this, that kind of thing. And that prompted, never do that as a comic, never yeah. do that as a comic. Yeah. It was something like that. And, and, and although he said it, like the guy stood up, and people thought it was still part of the act. And I walked over to him and I said, I said, you know, I put my hand on his back. You can either sit down or you need to leave. Yeah. Yeah. And then I made a little announcement about like, we got to find a way to work it out with each other. <laughs> None of that. No, there is. And, and you know, there, there's two sides to this. You know, it's just like I was saying before, you know, yeah. not everybody is going to love every joke. Yeah. Okay. Right. I am, you know, I am a, you know, when I was a kid, I was a victim of sexual assault. Mm-hmm. And so while I understand, you know, I personally, like, I, I, I can't stand rape jokes. Right. But I also understand that there are comics that are up at that top tier that can tell a rape joke. And yeah. it's fun. Yeah. It's, it's even hard to add the word joke to it. Like, right. Yeah, I can't. And, and that's it, it's it's hard to see it like that. But I know that it exists. Yeah. And so I as a person, when I'm in or running an open mic, uh-huh. you know, I have to understand that they're working to that level and those things exist. And there are ways to tell those jokes that, yes, are funny. Mm-hmm. You know, any subject can be made funny uh-huh. for the most part. And, and, you know, but there are always going to be people. Yeah. That don't see it the way they, you know, the, the way yeah. that you want. It's, yeah. Yeah. And, and as a comic, you have to make peace with that before you walk on stage and tell that joke for the first time. Uh-huh. If you think as a comic that every person is going to love your joke, you've already failed. Yeah. Because it's never going to happen. You know, one of my favorite bits from Robin Williams is, is that, is that bit that he does. You were talking about golf earlier. <laughs> Robin Williams bit about golf in weapon in that um in live on Broadway that specially uh-huh. did for HBO in 2001 okay. is one of my favorite stand up comedy bits of all time uh-huh. like just absolute random brilliance <laughs> in such an animated person 
talking about one of the most basic and boring sports yeah. that you can think of. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, you know, but there are people <laughs> that don't like Robin Williams, either that bit or just his stand-up as a whole. It, it, you know, for some, it's, it's, it's crazy to think like, why wouldn't you? But, you know, cultural, you know, religious differences even can have an impact on that, yeah. you know, and, and, yeah, you know, also Robin Williams does get a little, he does get a little out. He did get a little out there with some of his stuff. And so, you know, he, like there was a joke when back when he was on Coke in the eighties, he had a five minute bit where part of it, he was talking about microwaving a hamster. Like the dude yeah. would get out there. Yeah. Um, he just had these uh, you very, he just followed his thought to like this thing. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, you know, I, he wanted to be a Shakespearean actor, but they kicked him out of act like the acting school because he would improvise during Shakespeare. And he, the Juilliard. He, and he can, well, there's a funny story about Robin Williams because when he was first getting going in the comedy industry, yeah. like he would get into those improv things and those rants that he would go on yeah. and he would accidentally tell other jokes that he had heard from other comics at like open mics and shows yeah. and stuff when yeah. he wasn't on stage. Yeah. And so people would come up to me like, Hey man, that was my joke. And he just said, Oh, I'm sorry. Here's $10,000. I feel so bad. Yeah. Like, because that was just, it just vomited out of him. Like he, it was like, he literally couldn't control it. Yeah. And yeah, it was very impulsive. It, he was. And, you know, so it's not, you know, when you, when you look at it in the grand scale, it's not impossible to think that some people didn't like Robin Williams or, you know, obviously there are people that don't like Dave Chappelle. Now, most of them yeah. is because they don't understand his material and they haven't actually watched it, Yeah, but we'll just, you know, it exists. So we can just acknowledge that. Yeah. So except as a comic that not everyone is going to think your jokes are funny. Yeah. You've got to figure out why the audience wants to listen to you. Like for me, when I open my shows, you know, the first thing I say, you know, that's right. My name is Tony. You know, the first thing you should know about me is I have ADHD, bipolar one, com and complex post-traumatic stress disorder. But it's okay. Don't worry. I don't own any firearms. <laughs> it's, 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 it's the uncomfort you just brought us in. We're waiting. Exactly. What's next? <laughs> oh and then you know and you know that's, no, what I, that's, what and, I, that's, like, that's the introduction like okay you know and then and it's, it kind of just depends on where the crowd at and how the crowd responds because if if the crowd doesn't like laugh at that like if they're like i'll, yeah. I'll just look at them and be like it's okay when the next school shooting happens you'll get it you know um what? I, I told this story this here's the story i told and i've told this numerous times but <laughs> this is when i read the crowd and i was like oh my goodness um i said i said you know uh when i was in the seventh grade we had to do a report uh, on a biography and I, I read and we had to dress up as somebody from the book. So I read the diary of Anne Frank. All right. I'm Jewish. So I read the book. All right. And, but here's a little bit of the backstory. I grew up in a very conservative city, very Southern Baptist Lynchburg, Virginia place. Oh, okay. okay. So Jerry Fowles hometown. Yeah. And Jerry Fowles Jr. He likes to look around the corner and watch people have, have, have fun. So um, I grew up in that city, but I'm in the seventh grade and I read this book and I uh, didn't dress up as Anne Frank. I dressed up as the boy, Peter Van Dam, the other boy in the, the book that lived with her. And I practiced. I, I wore a little outfit, rehearsed so many times for my mom and, uh, and, 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 and I had a little accent as well. And 
I performed in front of the class and I thought I did a pretty good job. And uh, I get the grade back from the class. They give me an A. They say everything was great. Guy in my class told me, no, that was really awesome. Then the next day I get the report back from the teacher and I'm looking at it and it says the letter C is on it. And I'm reading through it. And it says good articulation, you know, very strong presence. At the very bottom in red, it says could have looked more like a Jew. What? And Are you serious? Yes. <laughs> serious. What does that even mean? Well, I am Jewish, so that's why I don't understand. <laughs> so, so, and my teacher knows that I am Jewish. I think she may have even written that I sh it would have been nice if I wore a Jewish star. And I, oh and I said God. to her, I thought I said to my mom when I told her this. Well, actually, so I read the crowd first, and they all looked at me, and nobody laughed. They looked at me, and they, and then, and I said, "Y'all look like you feel bad for me." And then a few people said, "Yeah, we do." And I said, "I said, well, I'm just glad you're not Holocaust fans, because <laughs> I'm Jewish." Wait, you said that in school at seventh grade? No, so no, no, no. I didn't say Holocaust fans in seventh grade. I said this. Oh, okay. But what I said, but so so I said, but wait till this. It gets better. Okay. <laughs> I said so. I went and so this is when I was like twelve or thirteen, and it was my bar mitzvah year too, of, of all things. So I tell, I I get home. I'm talking to my mom about it, and my mom, she's a New York Jewish lady. She's like, "What do you want to do? You want to complain to the school?" You want to do something about it? What are we going to do? And, and I said, no, I don't want to make a big deal about it. Like, what's, what's the point? And my mom's like, yeah, we should just let it go. But uh, you know what you should do, Noah? You should go up to your teacher, pull your pants down, and show her your second-sized penis. <laughs> I love it. Oh, my God, I love it. And that, that's I, how I ended it. And I, I hadn't even planned on it because I thought the funny part was that I thought it was funny, and that was like maybe a little traumatic. But I thought that was funny that that, that the teacher didn't think I looked Jewish enough. Oh, that's I I think I am Jewish. I walked away thinking, huh, what can I do to look a little more Jewish? <laughs> that, that's a testament to the American education system. A Jew can get up and reenact part of Anne Frank's diary yes. and get marked off for not being Jewish enough. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, come on, Harvey Weinstein. Is there a couch you need to sit on for another few minutes no. to get that right? No. <laughs> he, he would say, we're Jewish. Emphasis on this. <laughs> and that's not my joke. That's that's Emphasis on the ish. ish the ish. <laughs> the ish. Yeah. I, I, I talk about being Jewish. Jewish. Because I'm married into a Catholic family, too. So you can... Go with that. that. That's a fun one. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, both still circumcised, but one of them, you trust the preacher a little less than you do on the other one. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and, and you know, that's the thing, Catholic guilt and, Jew, and Jewish guilt. That's a thing that we have in common. It's just that one comes from a higher power. The other comes from your mother. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Yeah. It makes cool. perfect sense. That's a good joke too. I like that. Yeah, I like, that's good. good. I, I use it. I try to work. I, I wear a lot of the jokes I make up are just things that I say in conversation. Like, oh, I better write that down. Like that was funny. And, you laughed no, at it, 
I bought the last three phones that I've had were Samsung Galaxy Notes because the ability to write down stuff that I think of randomly on that phone and save it for when I go back later, like for my fishbowl, you like, you know, Chappelle talks about his fishbowl. Most of my fishbowl is in my notepad on my galaxy note. And I just go in there and I find something that I wrote down. Like, okay, I'm going to start writing off of that. Yeah. And it's just for that reason, because I'll say something or I'll think of a story that I haven't thought of in years. Like, Oh, that's golden material. Yeah. And, and I like, yeah, I have, uh, this is the last thing I wrote down. What if Wolverine was in a musical and just an act and then it, it, like the character, not the, the character, not like the actor, but not, and what not what it would if Wolverine was a musical. But what if Wolverine quit the X-Men to become a uh, musical theater performer? He just, <laughs> he just quit. He's like, I'm done. Like, I'm going to live a long time. I mean, if The Rock can do it, quit wrestling become a singer and actor. Why can't Wolverine do it? Why? And, and that's it. No. And that's it. I like that premise. That's really fun. But I want it to um, be a what if series because it's all what if. All right? right. Then I have these other ideas. Like what if WWE, WWE bought ice skating is the other idea that I came up with, but I haven't done anything with that, but it is funny to look through your little notebook and see what the hell does any of this mean? I have so many things that I don't know what they mean. Oh, I was going to Oh, talk- yeah. And that's the other thing is because like sometimes you just write a quick note so you can go on. You're like, oh, I'll know what that means later. You yeah. have no fucking clue. Yeah. No, I wrote this one. Javelinas. And I was going to talk about all the critters in Arizona, the Javelinas, because they're kind of crazy. Have you seen some right. of those? Oh, my God, dude. They're nuts. See, there are a lot of jokes in the Javelinas. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of critters. There's scorpions in Arizona all sorts of crazy animals there um one of my <laughs> i wrote this down for a, a heckler comeback one night if i'm in an edge if i'm in a crowd and i really want to piss somebody off yeah is if you were any bigger of a baby you'd be on casey anthony's hit list <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole series of jokes you can do one with amanda knox up here in seattle yeah <laughs> Yes, she had a lot of, uh, that I like. Now, <laughs> just going through my head, hmm, people who have maybe killed people, the parents of John Bonet Ramsey. I mean, I, and that's the thing is, 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 you know, and that's some of the, the great part about writing comedy is sometimes you think of something and that's what starts the process. And then you end up with a completely different joke and premise, yeah. but it yeah. started with something else. Like, that's good. Um, where did. Hold on. Where's another one? Like every once in a while, I'll just write like, cause I work from home for my regular day yeah. job as an insurance agent, which is just fucking horrible. Like if you're thinking about getting a job as an, as an insurance agent, yeah. just, just, you know, use a nail gun to put your hand through a table, you know, put it, put your hand onto a table a couple times and you'll, it'll be more enjoyable than, than, than being an insurance agent. Oh, um, <laughs> I, 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 I say this one is like you, you we've all heard of roid rage, but have we heard of hemorrhoid rage? <laughs> <laughs> that's good that's good you can explore that one um i did where was one um hold on where did that go i just had oh um you know 
I don't, you know, even though I grew up in a Christian household, I think that religious fanaticism is crazy. The only thing, the only reason I would get close to doing something like being a suicide bomber is if I had to continue working in customer service. Like maybe that's what it really is. You spend enough time working in the market over there and you're just like, Abdul, if you ask me one more fucking time for extra sauce on this euro, I'm going to blow this place up. I want more. Yeah. I actually tried to sell a bit to Jeff uh, to Jeff Dunham where he would say that that was Ahmed's why Ahmed became a dead a dead terrorist was because he worked in customer service. Um, Jeff Dunham won't buy bits though. By the way, fun fact. Um, no, he won't. No, no, no. And that's the thing. I was I started to research that a little bit. It's like how do people sell their jokes? It's every time everything that I've always seen on is is just opportunity. Yeah, you just meet the right person and they think you're funny or something. Well, because especially like if you look at guys like um, Neil, what's his name? Neil that worked on Chappelle's show and worked oh, on Neil like SNL. Neil Brennan, yeah. yeah. And all like the Nickelodeon shows. Like he was a doorman at a comedy club. Yeah. And he would just be talking to comics and, hey, you should do this. You should do this. And then eventually there were comics that were like, you know, they would see him doing his stuff like, hey, I want to buy that joke from you. Yeah. It's all about opportunity with that, at least in I, my. I There's there's somebody that I know that I, that, that I've he, they're like a former English professor and I, and they, they hang out and they have such good ideas. And I keep telling them, I was like, you should help these comedians write their jokes. Cause you're a writer, man. You got, you, you have the ability to punch these things up. So I, I, I tell you, yeah. Yeah. If you got a gift, like, like maybe use it as a, as a hobby at, at the bare minimum. Well, like, you know, when, one of the fun things about like, you know, when it comes up with bits, you know, and then one of the, you know, the other things about comedy that they talk about when you're trying to find inspiration is make fun of things that you love. Like one of yeah. my things that I enjoy when it comes <laughs> to it, be, because, you know, it, it, it kind of helps you explore the mind because things that you love, you know more about. You, and so yeah. you can find those small flaws. Like I, I absolutely love ancient alien documentaries. Okay. Yeah. Specifically, any documentary on alien stuff with Giorgio Sakalos, mm -hmm. that guy from all of the me aliens memes that, you know, his hair is like, like, you know, if I had longer hair, he would look just like me. Yeah. Um, you know, because I, I, I get that sometimes if I let my hair grow out as I, you know, I look like Giorgio Sakalos, <laughs> you know, you know, but if, if it, like you know, when you look at Giorgio Sakalos, you're like, you know, he's like, yeah, he, he seems like he knows a lot of stuff. But if you ever research that dude. His college degree is from Ithaca College Ithic? on sport Ithaca College Ithaca. on sports broadcasting. He was a bodybuilding judge, uh -huh. bodybuilding competition judge, like Mr. Olympiad, before uh -huh. he all of a sudden switched to talking about aliens. So that begs the question: are bodybuilding competitions just expositions for aliens to be able to see how we're doing with, with you know our genetic development? <laughs> You know, and then there's other life lessons that Giorgio Sakalos teaches. Just like, you know, you know, we don't want to give Jews the credit for, for, for pyramids. So let's just go ahead and blame it on aliens. How else can I apply that to my, to, to my life? Late for work, had to avoid getting abducted by aliens, get caught sleeping with my sister-in-law. That wasn't my sister-in-law. That was an alien. I mean, how many other things can we get away with, with this method? I think Giorgio Sakalos is trying to give us some life lessons here. <laughs> that was very thorough. That was good. I'm, and here's the thing. It has taken me four years to get comfortable with that material. And I'm still not where I want to be with it. So that's just yeah. the thing yeah. is like, if you look at like the, you know, it, it, you'll, you'll see a comic that'll go on a late night show and they'll be having a conversation and they'll slip a couple of lines in that are kind of funny in that conversation. Yeah. And then a year and a half, two years later, 
they're ta- they're referencing that same joke in a yeah. Netflix special because right. they're workshopping that material and taking time to develop it. Uh-huh. And that's one of the most core pieces of comedy is jokes take time to grow because it's going to take time for you to see how you can use that yeah. premise, that piece, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, yeah, I, I I being a host, I haven't I didn't feel like I've been able to practice as much. So now and I've tried to find my way into some of the other open mics. I know people say you should practice as a host, and it's one of the advantages. And I'm trying to strike the balance of of hosting, making because so many people show up. I want to make sure that they get their time and not just me. You should be doing a set too. Yeah. Whether even if it's just five minutes. Yeah. And 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 this is and the great thing is is because when you're developing your type five, uh-huh. and and I say this because this took time for me to learn as a host too because I ran an open mic for a year and a half where mm-hmm. I tried to fight to always have a new set each time. Yeah. And the unfortunate thing was, while I could come up with new jokes, right? I never developed any real material in that time. Mm-hmm. because I was so focused on writing new stuff. I wasn't getting better with my existing stuff. Yeah. And especially with like a five, if you use that five windows, okay. So these jokes I know work, what, what, what order do I have to get them in so that I have a type five that I can use as an audition video. Yeah. And then you go from that type five to that type 10. Once you have a tight 10, that's when you're going to start getting a lot more booked shows because that's what they want you for is 10 minutes. Yeah. And then you build it out from that. You get to 20, you get to 30 and then you, you know, 45 in, a, in an hour because yeah, and really once you, once you get to your first 10, you should have a, not necessarily, and I, I hate to say the word routine, but you should have a flow for how your jokes are going to go and kind of know where your style is. Mm-hmm. And so as you think about that, you can start thinking about that and think you think about a joke. Oh, how is this going to work in with this other material? How am I going to segue it? And part of building that becomes connecting with the other stuff. Well, since you're working on connecting with the other stuff, you're thinking about other callbacks that you can do from that other material. And it opens up everything that you can do with that. Or, oh, hey, is this joke going to work place in here? And I'm, you know, yes, I'm going from a tight 10, but it's not after the tight 10 that I've already got. Mm-hmm. I'm inserting this in and that's what's taking it to a tight 12, wow. you know? You have to kind of be willing to be malleable with all of your stuff. Mm-hmm. Never open with a joke you've never told. Mm. Never open with a joke you've never told as a comic. And let us say it's your very first time on an open mic and you've never been on a stage before. Uh-huh. As a comic, you should never be opening with material you've never used. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just lately, I just like, I, I, I haven't been preparing because I feel like I'm so busy. I'm just going to go up there because I just want to get out there and do something. And I, I've been just like, well, what story happened today? So I just told a story. <laughs> it worked out okay because there was like some heckling involved, but I just told a story. And then, so I posted it and, 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 and someone, someone wrote in the comments, like, what's the punchline? And I said, you know what? There wasn't one, but I don't know if I want one, but I, I don't know if that's what I'm looking for with this. Like, I feel like there's something. And you just have to decide that with your material. Yeah. And I like, I I, I feel like I, I, I like sharing stories and then the punchline will come as I, I develop the story a little bit more and shorten it. The, the Greg Dean method that he teaches, the method that he teaches for material and how jokes flow and joke structure and everything like that. Yeah 
it, it's definitely the basic style that you get from Jeselnik, which is the setup and punch. Yeah. But he also teaches way to incorporate incorporate that into the story. Yeah. And then, you know, so by starting out with writing out the full story and then how can you twist these different things and finding those different pieces that you can make funny mm -hmm. to get to that step where you get yeah. to the payoff. Um and it's an, I, and I think it's a great trick to learn. By the way, we are at an hour and fifteen minutes. I, just I know. I was gonna. Say that. <laughs> the conversation just keeps getting good and good. So we should 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 just wrap it up and and whatever. I've enjoyed talking to you and listening to you and getting to know you a little bit. I will come back again and we will do more. This has been great, man. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. I, I think there's just a lot to learn, and we've kind of just brushed the, the surface of it. Um, I, I just found myself thinking that oh man, I want to like get to know this person and. And understand them. I mean, you 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 clearly have been through a lot, and uh, you're you're finding ways to enjoy yourself, which and you've helped me because I'm learning. Uh, that's that's part of this. That's what I want to do. So thank you. Thank oh you so no, much. and thank you. And this is this is good stuff for me because it gives me time. Like I said, you know, still work with other material and see yeah, where mean, people it, respond and where people don't. So it you know it's yeah. it's great work for me too, man. And I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, I tell you one last thing. We didn't even get to talk much about being dad. That's a whole other thing. Um, so, but I'll say this, so, so, oh, I'm trying to encourage my daughter a little bit, not to necessarily be a comedian, but to practice being in front of people and speaking. Mm -hmm. So there's a place called Tony V's, uh, outside Seattle that does an all ages open mic. They just, mm. they, they just said, they make sure that your, your kid has to have like a joke prepared. That's their thing. So I've yeah. been working on it with her and my daughter, cause you're talking about that you make fun of things that you love. I've told her, I said, you get up there and you make fun of me. I said, you know me. I said, it's fine with me. I don't think it's hilarious. So she makes fun of me and my accent that from Virginia when it comes out. And I say, y'all. <laughs> no, that is, and that's perfect because that's going to help her. And, and that's one of the things is I love about encouraging kids to do different things is because yeah. you get, you see them shine and you get to really learn as a parent, how your child is seeing the world. Yeah. Because that's one question that I don't think we ask children enough. We give them all these things and we try to tell them how to interpret yeah. it. Yeah. But, and, and you know, the thing is, is that I think about this a lot because I'll look at my kid and I'll look at her and I'll say to myself, I remember that age. I knew way more than my parents gave me credit for. Mm -hmm. And so does my kid. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Our, our our children are an amazing sense of insight because they haven't been tarnished by experience. Yeah. Yeah. They're just like flowing. Well, speaking of flowing, let's flow into some music if we can. Okay. Let's see um, if we can get this right. I'll give you. I know a song. Just because of the word flowing. Okay, uh, Feel Flows by the Beach Boys, if we can find it. I'm pretty sure we can. Okay. Feel Flows, Beach Boys. Okay. All right, so in, in 30 seconds, why this song? Why this song? Um, I actually listened to it a lot with one of my best friends who I went to school with, who I just visited in Arizona, who I think is very funny. And we liked listening to the Beach Boys together. We found a lot of unique albums of theirs. Brian Wilson. The Beach Boys, I think, were an undercredited piece of music and what they did in the 50s and 60s because they really, I think, I, I consider, I know that people will say this, this sounds weird, 
and 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 disagree with me and that's fine but i think that the beach boys was kind of like an early 50s stoner soft rock almost with the way that they were like beach stoner rock is what i would call it yeah um but truly talented musicians i remember seeing them as a kid and actually i got the chance to i got the limited chance to see the beach boys play with john stamos's drummer um which was an interesting which was an interesting thing you got to see you got to see kokomo i did oh my goodness they're they're late um but you know no respect no disrespect for the beach boys i was just curious because you don't hear a lot of people talk about it as much i i they're good talented musicians and i think that later like the song feel flows is good they have this whole he was very brian wilson had ocd i believe and other kind of mental health stuff and he wrote a song all about taking good care of your feet. Very, very interesting. And what better be careful what, what watch out what you eat is one of some of the lyrics. So <laughs> like, and that's that's just an an interesting album. It's one it's it's one that's not popular, I don't think, but it has a lot of funny little songs on there that I love. I yeah. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Okay, so thank you for having me. I will do this yeah. again, and I am going to get you at least on my dad podcast. We'll see about maybe getting you in on some other stuff. Yes, uh, yes. I appreciate you, Noah, and thank you for having me. Yeah, totally. It was real fun. It's nice. Uh, and uh, and you have a good day, it, man. We'll play this out. Yeah. And then I'll, I'll end the recording. We'll talk more about it. Yeah. There All right, go. cool. Unfolding, enveloping, nestles of soul. Recall, senses sadly. Mirage like, softer like lanterns below. To light the way gladly. When the whispering heavens clouds disappear. Where the wind glitters memory. Where the whiteness whips our shadows away. Why feel the shadow we flow? 